from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. On the show today, we hear how to stay safe from another potential COVID surge this holiday season. And Louisiana Representative Troy Carter is on the show. He chats with Louisiana Considered's Alana Schreiber about his new role as the Congressional Black Caucus's second vice chair. But first... In a stunning upset, Devontae Lewis defeated three-term incumbent Lambert Boisier III to become the Public Service Commissioner for Louisiana's 3rd District. He's the first openly LGBTQ black person to be elected to public office in state history. For more on his victory, we're joined by WRKF's Capital Access reporter, Paul Baron. Paul, thanks for being here. Hey, Karen. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this result in the PSC race. What are the big takeaways? Well, right off the top, Lewis's win is historic. He's the first openly LGBTQ person elected to state office in Louisiana, according to the LGBTQ Victory Fund. And that's a big deal in a state that ranks near the bottom in terms of LGBTQ representation in state and local government. But while Lewis never shied away from his sexual orientation in this race, his campaign was largely focused on other issues, green energy, utility affordability, and hardening the state's infra- energy infrastructure against the ever-strengthening hurricanes that, that plague us here. And, and this victory was a major blow to a well-established incumbent and the industry groups that supported him. Um, the Associated Press called this race while voters were still while votes were still being tallied Saturday night. But now that the dust has settled, we've seen that Lewis's victory may have been surprising, but it wasn't particularly close. Uh, Lewis secured 59 percent of the vote to Bossier's 41 percent. And that vote share is pretty consistent with what we saw from the primary last month in Bossier's case. Back then, he secured 43 percent of the vote and Lewis had just 18. Uh, but Bossier's low vote share for an incumbent set off some alarm bells. And we saw him really push in the final days of this campaign. He locked down a big endorsement from Governor John Bell Edwards. We saw more advertising in this race than we've seen from a PSC race in years. But in the end, you know, Boissier's share of the vote dropped in the runoff. All right. So what's next for Lewis and the PSC? So frustrations over energy bills and utilities slow but costly recovery efforts after storms have definitely raised the profile of the Public Service Commission over the last year or so. But traditionally, Additionally, this, this panel has flown largely under the radar. From Politico's perspective, the commission has mostly been a stepping stone for people seeking higher office later on. It's where Huey Long and former Governor Kathleen Blanco got their start in politics. Lewis is young. He's just 30 years old. And, and the boundaries of the 3rd PSC district closely resemble those of the state's 2nd congressional district, which is the heart of the state's black Democratic political base. So it would be very interesting to see where he might go from here. Now, it's incredibly early to get into any of those discussions. And Lewis is focused on the task at hand. And he definitely has his hands full. At the end of the day, he's just one of two Democrats on the PSC, and it'll be interesting to see how much support he can garner for his ratepayers' Bill of Rights, or if he'll be able to accelerate the state's transition to renewable energy as he promised throughout this campaign. People made a lot out of the support that Lewis had from national environmental groups in this race, uh, the Keep the Lights Pack, a super PAC funded largely by the Environmental Defense Fund, pumped 
more than a million dollars into this race. But Lewis also secured a raft of endorsements from grassroots, homegrown Louisiana political groups, organizations that are going to stay engaged on issues uh, with climate change policies of utility companies and billing issues that affect low and middle income Louisianans the most. So Lewis is a product of that environment. He worked for the Louisiana Budget Project most recently. And it'll be really interesting to see how he works with these groups moving forward. The uh, the PSC race wasn't the only race that was settled on Saturday night. Voters also approved a trio of new state constitutional amendments. Tell us a bit about those. Yeah, that's right. Voters overwhelmingly approved all three of those ballot measures Saturday, each passed with more than 70 percent approval. And so now the, the state Senate will have more oversight when it comes to gubernatorial appointments on the state police commission and the civil service commission. Those were amendments two and three. But the amendment that's making the biggest splash is the one will would arguably have the least effect on state law. Amendment one, uh, which added language to the state constitution that explicitly states only U.S. citizens can register to vote and, and participate in state and local elections here in Louisiana. That one passed with 73 percent of the vote. So overwhelmingly. Um, but federal law already prohibits non-citizens from participating in federal elections, and the state election code already lists U.S. citizenship as its first requirement for people registering to vote in Louisiana. So the amendment really has no practical effect, but it does enshrine that requirement in the state's constitution. But we've already seen Secretary of State Kyle Ardwin make a big push for this particular amendment and claiming victory. Um, since it's now passed. And Ardwen is up for re-election next year. And this is a kind of red meat that plays well on the campaign trail. So that's going to be a, a, a big narrative in the race that we'll see for him uh, to seek re-election next year. Thanks so much, Paul. Capital Access reporter Paul Braun. Thanks. Anytime. At the end of November, Louisiana Representative Troy Carter was elected to serve as the Congressional Black Caucus's second vice chair. This is the third most senior position in the caucus and was previously held by Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence of Michigan. Representative Carter spoke with Louisiana considered Delana Shriver about taking on this significant role in his sophomore term. The Congressional Black Caucus was first established in 1971, often referred to as the conscious of the Congress. The body was created to ensure that federal resources would be used to elevate and advance African-Americans and other marginalized groups. What exactly has the CBC accomplished during its more than 50 years? Well, we need a lot more than 10 minutes for me to kind of go down the line, but I can give you a thumbnail um, from civil rights to, to equal rights to uh, freedom of marriage, um, fighting for the, 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 the marginalized and those people that have been left aside while it originally was created uh, to give a voice to African-Americans, which were the strict minority in the United States Congress and suffered greatly um, racism throughout the country um, to have a voice in, in Congress. Uh, since that time, we've grown to nearly 60 members, and we have fought for those issues that are important to all people, um, rather than be black, white, Asian, Hispanic, or, or whatever, um, fighting for the ability for people to, to live and be their authentic selves, fighting for um, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that was just signed into law uh, several months ago. Uh, that's huge. Um, the Congressional Black Caucus played a pivotal role in being the, the glue that was able to save what was a dying measure. Uh, very proud that the Black Caucus, under the leadership of Joyce Beatty, its current chair, um, 
we went to bat. We went to the White House. We met with the various caucuses, and we were able to gen together the necessary votes to pass this $1.2 trillion package that is obviously critically important to the entire country. Well, second vice chair, that's your new position. Tell us a little bit more about this role, what it means to you, and what you hope to accomplish. Uh, it gives me a, a pivotal place to, to create a voice, uh, to, to, to be that voice of the, of the people of Louisiana and our, dear, and our country. Um, it is the, the, the leadership post from the nearly 60 members that have uh, incredible, incredible institutional knowledge from uh, Whip Clyburn to our soon-to-be um, ma- minority leader of the House, Hakeem Jeffries, um, and Nancy Pelosi, who is, is moving aside to, uh, to let the next layer of leadership take place, which Hakeem Jeffries uh, will be taking, is a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. These are all people that will be depending on me and other members to, to whip votes, to ferret out um, policy, to be able to garner the votes and to, to pass significant policy um, for the country and for our caucus. So it's a, it's, a, it's a hefty role with a lot of work. Uh, I'm honored to have been chosen by my peers for such a uh, incredible task um, so early in my congressional career. I'm humbled and ready to work. We are speaking with Representative Troy Carter, the Democratic representative from Louisiana in the U.S. House. Of course, you are the single black delegate from Louisiana in a state that is one-third African-American. How do you view your responsibility to the black community in your state? How do you aim to be a voice for such a large and diverse community? Well, you know, because I'm the only Democrat, um, I, I, I and the only African-American, I don't see boundary lines. Um, I represent the entire state, uh, Republican, Democrat, and other, but certainly for those Democrats that feel that they don't have um, a representative to hear their views, and for those African-Americans who don't feel that they have individuals that feel their, hear their views, um, I don't recognize boundary lines. However, I will continue to fight tirelessly. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, African-Americans represent one-third of the state, yet we have six members of Congress and we have only one member. Simple math dictates that we should have two. So I'll continue to fight to have a second uh, minority-majority district created that will give an opportunity for another African-American to be elected. Well, Mr. Carter, as we mentioned, you are a Democrat and the CBC has been historically made up of mostly but not entirely Democrats. As we know, it can be nearly impossible to get anything done in Congress without working across the aisle. So how do you hope to foster bipartisan support in this caucus? Well, you know, as a member of the state Senate, I was chairman of the Senate Democratic Caucus and minority leader for the the, uh, Senate Caucus and the state Senate. Uh, We were 12 members strong of a body of 39. Well, you can't pass any bills with 12 votes of, of, of a body of 39, yet we passed a lot of bills. And I'd like to believe that that's because we took the time to listen. Uh, and when you listen, people are, are uh, likely to listen to you. I intend to take the same practices I employed in the state Senate, building relationships and working across party lines to have people recognize that you have every right to be a proud Republican as much as I am a proud Democrat. But we don't have a right to deny the people access to health care. We don't have the right to deny people to, to opportunities to start their businesses. We don't have the right to deny people education. We don't have the right to deny people clean air and water. We don't have the right to deny us safe communities. 
These are all things that Democrats and Republicans can agree on, and we should. I intend to continue to use uh, my experience and strategy that worked in Louisiana to build bridges, to create opportunities, to have Republicans and Democrats work together. The American people have spoken clearly. Uh, they don't want to see the bickering and fighting that, that we've seen. They don't want to see another January 6th. Uh, they want us to, to, to work together. And every day that I wake up to serve the people of Louisiana and the people of America, that is on my top agenda. Well, before we go, we've discussed your goals in the CBC, but I'd also love to dive into anything else on your agenda as you enter your sophomore term in Congress. What are going to be some of your other main priorities in your next term? Well, I'll tell you, some of those major priorities, one is going to be to continue to fight for climate uh, education and and reduction of CO2 uh, to make sure that people have clean air and clean water, that we continue to work on a smooth transition from fossil fuels to green, clean energy, using resources that, that will allow us to, to protect Mother Earth, to protect our environment while recognizing the importance of oil and gas. Um, we don't have to have one against the other. We just have to make sure that we are doing everything as clean and green as possible and uh, weaning ourselves off of our dependency of foreign oil and fossil fuels. That's going to take all hands on deck. Uh, um, and so I will be working tirelessly to, to continue to move that with the possibility of serving on the Energy and Commerce Committee, which will give me a seat at that table to discuss those policies around the environment, uh, one that Louisiana doesn't have today. Additionally, uh, my efforts to work tirelessly on uh, providing resources for early childhood education and mental health correctness. Um, and I say correctness because we right now are so incorrect as it relates to the amount of money and resources that we provide to an issue that plagues every American. If you look around the city, look around anywhere you go, pay attention to young people and old people shadow boxing or talking to themselves or living under an interstate. That's somebody's child, somebody's father, somebody's daughter, aunt or uncle. We've got to do something about that. It impacts our crime. It impacts our community. It impacts our, our economic viability. Um, we cannot continue to see the growing numbers of Americans that are struggling and fighting with mental health uh, issues. Uh, this is American. We can do better. And then lastly, to work tirelessly on cannabis reform. We know that some 37 states in, our, in, in the union have now some form of legal marijuana, yet we still have people that have scars on their records um, because of being uh, charged with a small amount of marijuana. The president took a huge step in, in doing pardons. I have legislation that will now go and expunge their records, which will give them the opportunity to have access to loans and education and jobs and licensing um, that otherwise they are they would be denied. You certainly have your plate full. This has been Troy Carter, Democratic representative from Louisiana in the U.S. House. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking to you again soon. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Health officials are concerned another COVID-19 surge could be on the horizon as people gather with family and friends for the upcoming holidays. As we enter a third winter with this pandemic, guards are down a bit as life has begun to more resemble pre-pandemic times. Fewer people are wearing masks. There's less caution about large gatherings. 
How exactly should we be preparing to safely spend time with loved ones over the holidays? With information on the latest tools for COVID safety, Dr. Catherine O'Neill, Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine and Infectious Disease at LSU Health Sciences Center in Baton Rouge, joins us now. Dr. O'Neill, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. O'Neill, what should we know as we prepare to spend time with family and friends over the holiday about the current threat from covid And why are health officials sounding the alarm? Right. I I think that's a great question, and it's why we're here today. We're sounding the alarm because it's virus season. And way before the COVID pandemic, we sounded similar alarms, but they were about the flu. And many of us had immunity to the flu, got our flu vaccines regularly, and still we had an increase in viral infections in the winter. This year, importantly, we are also seeing an increase in COVID infections coming along with our flu, our rhinovirus, our enterovirus, and we can do something about these things. And that's why we're here today. It's it's to say, prepare yourself. You're going to see a virus if you haven't already in the next couple of weeks. What can you do to stay safe through Christmas? And that's vaccination every single time vaccination, and then also making sure you get tested when you feel unwell because you can stay away from people and help them and because you can get treatment. All right. Well, let's talk vaccines. Many people have had vaccines. uh, They've had boosters. So what's the current Mm -hmm. recommendation? And, And let's talk even about those who've had COVID. What kinds of protection or what protection can they expect? That's right. So the first question that you asked is about our boosters. And, you know, we're going to have to stop calling them boosters because it gets confusing. How many have I had? What you really need to know is that the most up-to-date vaccine available is the bivalent vaccine. And that vaccine is special and is different from those first couple of vaccines we got because it covers the original strain of COVID and it also covers Omicron. And we want that protection against as many variants as possible that are out there because we know that that's really what we're seeing is this alphabet soup of COVID. So you want to get vaccinated and you want to make sure you have that up-to-date vaccine. The second question, you know, who's who can get vaccinated? Everybody, well, you know, really, I wanted to start even with those that that mm-hmm. have had COVID because I, I mean, a lot of people totally. I, I know have had it, and they're just thinking, "Oh, I've had it. I don't have to worry about it going into the season." So let's let's talk yeah. uh, about that some too. You know, I work so much with athletes, and um, I, I have never met an athlete who said, "Yeah, I practiced on Monday. I'm totally ready for Saturday." We practice all the time to get better, and our immune system is exactly the same way. You have got to practice well in order to be really ready for the fight. So having had COVID COVID is really just one episode of practice. What we know from our vaccinations is that you need multiple to really develop a robust immune system. And who all is eligible? What age group? Um, So if you are less than six months old, you are not eligible for a vaccine. And we hope that your mother was able to get the vaccine while pregnant so that the mother can offer antibodies to that baby. After six months of age, we offer COVID vaccination. After five years of age, we offer the up-to-date booster with the two types of viruses in them, Omicron and the original virus. So everybody greater than five should be getting an up-to-date vaccine this fall. Everybody six months to five is in that window where they should have gotten their original vaccine. So we, we've almost covered everybody. It's really important for everybody to get vaccinated because we know that as adults in the room at a Christmas party, who's most likely to come and slobber you with kisses and hugs and possibly steal from your bowl of food? <laughs> right. It's a kid, uh, yeah, right? And that's yeah. who spreads disease. So everybody needs to be vaccinated to keep everybody healthy. So Dr. O'Neill, we all know there are some people that, that fear getting the COVID vaccine. 
vaccine. So, yeah. so let's mm-hmm. look at how do the dangers of getting COVID compare with the side effects possible from from a vaccine? You know, with all that fear is still out there. And it's amazing because I felt it when I brought my kids to get vaccinated, even though I was in this to win it. And I knew that it was the best thing for them. But when you make that choice, you have a little bit of a, wow, I have to make this decision. Is this the right one? I think it's important to be informed. But what we know after two years of fighting this is that there are no long-term side effects of COVID vaccination. There are absolutely long-term side effects of getting COVID-19. Even people who had their first infection and felt okay are getting infected two or three more times and then having long COVID. And what shocks me about long COVID is it's most likely to happen in our young, healthy population of people. We're speaking with Dr. Catherine O'Neill, Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine and Infectious Disease at LSU Health Sciences Center in Baton Rouge, about how to be safe over the holiday. Dr. O'Neill, what advice do you have for people who will be traveling over the holiday? What measures, for, for example, uh, in airports? Right. So, you know, we still know that the dirtiest part of an airport is where you put your bags on and take them off as you go through security. 10,000 people touch those bins and very few people wash their hands. So make sure that you wash your hands often after commonly touched equipment, wherever you are in large spaces, because there are so many illnesses, vomiting illnesses, et cetera, that are that are carried just by touching. Cover your cough. Don't travel if you're sick. Make sure you have some home COVID tests available so that you can protect others. And if you feel like you're going to be in a place that's super crowded, put on a mask. It's easy to do. It's still accepted. I know that we have dropped a lot of masks. It feels good. I've dropped mine in most scenarios. But if I'm going to be stuck with a lot of people crammed into space right now, I do not want the flu. I do not want COVID. I want to have a normal Christmas and I'm going to put a mask on. Easy to do. Protects you. Take it off when when you're out of that crowded situation. I think if you can do that, keep your hands washed. Stay home when you're sick. Put your mask on in, in sketchy scenarios that you, you really feel like you're crowded. You're going to be good. Um, uh, as far as testing, what are your recommendations on testing? What are the best tests and the best time to take that test before spending time with family? So we know that testing before spending time with family, when you feel well, can't prevent you from getting COVID two hours before you walk in the room, right? So if we're going to test just to prove that we're negative, even though we feel okay, that test is a little bit less helpful. When are tests really helpful? If you're not feeling well and you take a test and it's negative, the likely chance that you still have COVID and it was negative is is low. So if I feel bad, I should test. And our test performance is really good when we're feeling bad. What kind of test should you take? At-home tests are pretty good. They're at-home tests. So it's just like, you know, buying anything generic, you're, you're going to roll the dice a little. Your local hospitals, your communities have great testing centers. None of those have close. So continue to look through your Department of Health's information on where a testing center is. Take an at-home test. If you're still kind of in doubt and you have a big Christmas party, roll through one of those testing centers and just make sure that um, that you feel like you are confident and go into, go into a gathering. What does the future look like for COVID? You mentioned earlier, maybe we shouldn't be calling these things boosters anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so will people need to continue receiving updated vaccines just like they do flu shots? Yeah, the the future is unpredictable. Man, I wish I had had a crystal ball in 2020 and I'm still looking for one in my closet and I can't find it. But what we know today that we didn't know two years ago is that it is here to stay. It's going to be part of our way of life. 
so are vaccinations. And so I anticipate because we keep having variants, we're not all vaccinated, we don't all have great protection, that as long as we see new variants, we will eventually get used to having some sort of vaccine regimen. Dr. Catherine O'Neill, Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine, Infectious Disease at LSU Health Sciences Center in Baton Rouge. Dr. O'Neill, thanks for the great information. Have a safe and wonderful holiday. You too. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thanks to our guests, Capital Access reporter Paul Braun, Louisiana Representative Troy Carter, Associate Professor of Clinical Medicine and Infectious Disease at LSU Health Sciences Center in Baton Rouge, Catherine O'Neill. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, our digital editor, Caitlin Omholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Historic New Orleans Collection.